0: Because I'm here to tell you, it's tough. It's tough as hell to be a super success. And anybody that tells you any different hasn't been there, hasn't done that. I personally made over 300 individual financial presentations all over the world looking for money. Another new rule, and we're going to talk about raising capital in a few minutes. But there is somebody, someplace in this world today that will finance every Rufus deal in this room but it's your job to find them. Well, let me give you a little hint. The biggest difference between me and the audience, high-performance people that are mega successful in the audience, is that we do things that make you feel nauseous. We do things that make you feel uncomfortable. We do things that give you high anxiety. I.e., this is the quantum leap barf bag. Normally, we have one on every seat. You can carry in your purse or you can carry in your pocket like i do because whenever i start to get uncomfortable i know that i'm making progress quantum leap barf bag we have these between a high performance person and most everybody else is that they have worked on making sure their emotional checkbook is never overdrawn and you get that by having good self esteem for yourself working on your self-esteem and helping others build their self-esteem I've already said two or three times the more self-esteem we give the more that we will receive most unsophisticated business people ladies and gentlemen spend too much time planning you us one two three these things to death
1: prior to founding great western resources dan was chairman and co-founder of jpk industries and energy company he also held the position of vice president at the investment banking firm bear stearns and company he was director of financial planning at Payne, Weber, Jackson & Curtis, president and CEO of Kennedy Industries, Incorporated, president of his own consulting firm, OpuComp, and serves as chairman of his personal holding company, Great Western Development Corporation. He is chairman of CanCaddy, founder and chairman of PHG, Incorporated, chairman of FIRO Resources, chairman of Success Development, Incorporated, chairman of Property Tax Consultants, Incorporated, and chairman of The Warner Company. Since leaving Wall Street, Pena has had successful negotiations with Credit Lyonnais, British Petroleum, Chemical Bank, Shell Oil, mid Bank, Chevron, Bank of Scotland, Hunt Oil, Credit Squeeze, Citicorp, Texaco, Union Bank, Fidelity, Barclays Bank, Prudential, Onassa Shipping Lines, S.G. Warburg, Bank of America, Security Pacific, Bank One, Home Savings, Coopers & Librand, Ernst and & Young, and Deloitte Haskins and & Sells, and many more. He has also had successful negotiations with the United States, Israeli, Kuwaiti, Yemen, Chilean, Mexican, Indonesian, Philippine, Japanese, and the Netherlands governments. In addition, he has successfully transacted business with the Church of England and the Bank of England. He has also been a financial advisor to the Vatican. Pena has been featured on the television program Making It, Minority Success Stories, CBS News, and the prestigious British Broadcasting Company, among others. He has received the Latin Business Association Outstanding Business Owner Award and the John Regan Award for Excellence by the Center for Entrepreneurial Management. He was appointed to the United States Presidential Roundtable Senatorial Committee and to the Executive Committee of the Alliance for a Safer Los Angeles. He is currently a member of the Trust Fund Board and the Foundation Board of California State University, Northridge, where he graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration while on the Dean's List while carrying 23 units. He has been featured in many domestic publications, including a Pulitzer Prize winning article in the Los Angeles Times, Entrepreneur Magazine, the National Law Journal, Rob Report, and Hispanic Business. He has also been featured in dozens of United Kingdom publications, including the Financial Times. Dan didn't always have financial security. He grew up in Los Angeles with his mother and his father, who was a policeman who at one time worked two extra jobs to make ends meet. He didn't do well in high school. He dropped out of college and volunteered for the draft. Dan entered the Army as a private and left as an officer. While in the service, he gained a real sense of responsibility when he was put not only in charge of himself, but of the people who served under him. This was a turning point in Dan's life. After the service, he returned to college with a vengeance and graduated in half the time it would have normally taken. He decided to turn his life around.
0: talk today about is raising capital. now how many of you um, are in businesses that have uh, one to five employees? Raise your hand. okay how many of you don't have a business and have you're the only employee or you got no employees? okay five to ten employees and okay, nobody. okay now, what I'm going to talk about for the next 90 minutes is germane whether you have no employees or a thousand employees. Most of what I'm going to talk about I learned when I had no employees. The first year that I was in business by myself, I did $50,540,000 in business. I had one employee. And he's standing up here in a three-piece suit. Now, I had no money. And so some of the things that I developed, I developed the hard way. Trial and error. How many of you have made a financial presentation to some sort of financial institution looking for money in the last 12 months? Okay, in the last one month in the last week? Okay. This morning? <laughs> well, a couple of you pitched me this morning, so I mean I'm, a, I'm, I'm about like a financial institution, so... Well, that's not enough, ladies and gentlemen. I've made over 300 one-on-one financial presentations on five continents. I've been turned down more than this room, cumulatively, for money. But as I alluded to yesterday, somewhere or some there is a doofus financial institution. And I've heard some funky deals in this group. You have got, not weirder than I've ever heard, but you've got some weird deals in this group. But as weird as they are, you can find somebody to give you money. How many of you live in a community that they've opened up a new bank in the, in the last six months? A new branch of a bank. OK. Why do they open up a new branch? Why, why does B of A or Bank of Georgia, why, why do they do that? Do you realize when a bank opens up a new branch, that bank, branch has no customers? Do you realize when I looked for money years ago, I would drive up in my car, I would wait till 9 o'clock rolled around, and I would be the first person through the door. And do you realize every new bank that I ever went to, every branch that I went to, I got money out of? By definition, ladies and gentlemen, they have no customers. When Johnny Carson, the former host of Tonight Show, opened up his bank in Beverly Hills, I was the first customer on the books. I rolled up in my limousine. By this time I had a limousine. My chauffeur woke me up at 9 o'clock and said, boss, it's open. I went in there and a guy named Mark Stasinas, who was the vice president general manager, made me a loan. I was the only person in the bank until about 1045. Between 9 and 1045, not one human being walked through those doors. By definition, every single one of you live in a a neighborhood or in an area where they've opened up a branch of of a bank, whether it's a new bank or an old bank. New banks are even better. By definition, they have no customers. Am I the only human being in the United States that knows this? I, ho- I think not. Every single human being in this room can go to the branch of a bank that's just opened up and get money. They have no customers. They've got money. I just recently, with one of my partners, you going to a branch bank right now, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> I just went through f- nine financial presentations in Fresno, California. And Fresno's not such a great place to be, but I happen to be chairman of a company, the Warner company there. It's the oldest jewelry chain in the state of uh, California, founded in 1867. And I've got a partner named Casey Stevenson who's a a graduate of all the seminars, been to the castle and helped him get quite rich. And we went through nine presentations. We interview banks. One of the things that you do is you interview banks. You don't go in there on your knees like most of you. Could you give me some money please? That's how most of you go in the bank. Some of you crawl in on your belly and you wonder why the banks won't give you any money. Well, we went through nine presentations and I was trying to prove a point because we're trying to buy several chains, jewelry chains, across the country and I can't go to all the presentations. I don't have time. I'm the chairman of ten companies. So I wanted to prove a point to my partners. We had nine presentations in in two days. Every single bank, major bank that came in to talk to us, we told them we were interviewing them. We are changing from Wells Fargo Bank because The 90s are all about service, and right now we have what's called a deposit relationship with our bank. We deposit money in, they give us nothing back. Sometimes they give us interest. That's the kind of banking relationship most of you in this room have. Every single one of the nine major banks told us the same thing. We are flush with cash. In this century, we have never had more money chasing fewer deals. Exactly those words. Ladies and gentlemen, the banking industry is flush with cash. You may not have been able to extract any, probably because you haven't asked. If you're not making at least two financial presentations a week, you are pissing into a hurricane. Not the wind, a hurricane. Two, I talk to two or three bankers a week whether I need to or not, just to keep in practice. Okay, second thing. If you are asking money for a project that you need today, you are wasting your time. You interview banks for future financial representation, not today. There's four or five of you that have talked to me that you need money like you need blood in your veins. It may be too late. You don't go to a bank or a financial institution looking for money the day you need it. You say, we are going to go through an interviewing process, and we're going to find the best bank that makes the best fit, chemistry, etc., etc. What you're really doing is you're fu- going to keep talking to banks until you find one that will give you the money, whether there's any chemistry or not. We have been taught historically through conventional wisdom that bankers, lawyers, etc., are taboo. My parents would no, law, no more negotiate or try to negotiate a interest rate on a mortgage than they would to jump off of a tall building. It's just not in them. Some of you are from that same vintage, not in years, but in mentality. The financial institutions today, it is a cutthroat business. Bankers will drive across the country. We called a banker the day before yesterday, and I can only be in Fresno this coming Tuesday, and um, we found a deal. That's after we went through the interviewing process. We found four of the nine banks loved us. Two of the nine banks hated us. Two of the nine banks were mediocre. So we send, then we sent our package, not a financial plan, How many of you have made financial presentations taking a financial plan with you? Wrong! Wrong! You don't take a financial plan. You're interviewing, and then even after you interview, we've narrowed it down to four banks now, then you call them in and you tell them, well, we're still, this is the second round of interview. You made the cut. And this is our package. Without a financial plan, and you have. The resumes or profiles of your dream team. Nobody in this room's got a dream team, but now you know from yesterday you should have one. Okay. You have some simple mission statement, one page. Our goal is to dominate, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in the state of Georgia and in, in Athens County or wherever the hell you are. Part of that package is also the track record of your dream team. You don't have a dream team, you better get one. Otherwise, you're gonna have trouble finding money, that's for sure. Then after the four banks or five banks that we've narrowed it down to have that time to assimilate that package, then you have another meeting. And I'm not talking about you give them the package in the morning and you call them in the afternoon. And you go through a filtering process. After they've read the package, maybe only one or two of the banks will be interested in you. And you tell the banks things like this what kind of services can I expect for my employees, myself, my directors? And I'm talking about boxes at the um, Atlanta uh, Falcons games or whatever. You talk about all those things because that's what they do for customers now. We haven't deposited a nickel yet. We haven't shown them one financial paper yet. And all the banks will not go through an interviewing process and the banks that will not go through an interviewing process, you don't want to talk to. How many have been doing banking for, with the same bank for the last five years? Ten years. That's, that's awful. That is just pathetic. Pearl Crump, the lady I talked about yesterday, the nurse from Canada who went in and just closed her construction business down, that was worth $5 million, it was now worth 25 or $30 million. She told me, and boy, I jumped all over her case. She said, I've been doing business, she, We real proud of herself. I've been doing business with the Royal Bank of Canada for 25 years and they never turned me down. I'd be, I mean, in the circles I run in, I'd be a laughing stock if I told them I'd never been turned down. Donald Trump gets turned down. And since then, she, she uh, stopped doing business with the Royal Bank of Canada and now she does it. I forget which bank now. See, all the things you've learned all the preconditioning that you've had. You know, the, I said yesterday, the cost of education is nothing compared to the price of ignorance. So just think about that. All the things that you've allowed to slip through your fingers, all the deals, all the net worth. Maybe some of you aren't interested in making money. And this group's no different than almost every group that I talk to. All the preconditioning you've had, your life, is wrong is absolutely wrong now see I'm interested in as this as the program says champagne wishes and caviar dreams and if you're not what I'm about to talk about you you might as well just go to the bathroom or go have a cup of coffee now these two ladies these two ladies one of these ladies was here yesterday the lady on the right Deanne Verdier. she had to go back she had a financial presentation to make today and as much as she likes to hear me talk we're partners. Burl Crump is the lady from Canada on the left and they, they're called the my quantum leap assassins. Burl's only made about 20-25 million dollars using these techniques in the last 25 months and I don't know how much Deanne has made but they own a cable TV station now and uh, they... Um, but Deanne's husband had been doing business with the same bank for 21 years. First thing he did when he came left the seminars, he went back and they, they doubled his line of credit on the phone. And I said you should have gone in person because if they doubled it on the phone you should have made them quadruple it in person. Some of you in this room don't have a line of credit and I'm not gonna ask that question other than the credit cards you have. And if you think those are line of credits something is wrong with you because my son that's 12 years old has a MasterCard my son that's 14 January 1st has an American Express card. Any moron on the face of the earth can get a credit card now. So don't be feeling proud of yourself because you got credit cards. But if this isn't what you're interested in, and these two ladies have just taken this one aspect of what they've learned from me in the last couple years and they've made a religion out of it because you need money unless you're quick turning houses on the no finance method that Ron uses. And I would suggest that you start thinking about fishing with nets instead of lines. And I was asked last night and again this morning, some of you don't understand what I mean to fish with nets instead of lines. So I'm going I'm to give you a real graphic example. Now we all know, you know, some of you are fishing with a, a line with no hook. Some of you even got a hook on it. <laughs> Some of you got even trouble hooks and more hooks, one, more than one hook. But not many of you got any bait on the hooks. And I know maybe you're fly fishermen or you know the, the deal and you don't need a What I'm talking about is we're setting up a net across the river and we're not letting any fish through. We're scooping every son of a gun out. For example, some of you buy houses one at a time. The most, one of the most successful guys or the most successful guy of the La Grande real estate deal that I talked to a year ago uh, in Orlando. He made 20, 30, 40, 50 offers a week. Most of you are afraid if that's what you do to make 20, 30, 40, 50 uh, offers a week because you may get them accepted and then what are you going to do? I asked him is there any reason you couldn't make 200 offers a week? He said, well I would have to get some more employees but probably not. Some of you have never made an offer on a house. Some of you have attended these seminars and will continue to attend the seminars and continue to buy the products and you never understand the products well enough to accept the fact that you've got to go out and take action. You can go to the seminars from now until you die, until maggots are eating your eyes out. And unless you take action, history with me doing these seminars is 21 days. Actually, it's 21 hours. If you don't do something 21 hours from today, in other words, within the first day, you're never going to do anything. Never. These two ladies have changed the way they live. Maybe that's not important to some of you. That's Diane Verdeer. Before she started calling on financial institutions, that's a little piece of crap (laughs) Mayada. This is Diane Verdeer now. That's her new home, her mansion. And that's her, whatever, that hundred grand or whatever that Mercedes costs. And on the license plate of this Mercedes says Quantum Leap. And then I borrowed it in my roles now I have Quantum Leap. Q-T-M-L-E-P. Or L-E-A-P, excuse me. Now, this is before she came to Georgia, or when she lived in Georgia. She looked happy happy and poor. Wait a minute, see? She looked happy and poor there. And then she started calling on banks. Looks kinda sultry in there, doesn't she? Be alright. I can live that way. So just think about when we go through these. You too. I'm sorry that she couldn't stay. Now, if you think that you're gonna learn how to raise money by buying stuff like this, this is another, for $69, and I think that's from Entrepreneur Magazine, I think. I have got a bridge to sell you in London. First of all, the people that write these courses on this have never raised any money. I've raised over a billion dollars when you couldn't raise money. So what I'm about to talk about works. I raised it in the energy industry when oil went from $40 a barrel to $8 a barrel. You couldn't borrow money then. You think banks wanted to finance energy deals? You were nuts. But that's why I went to Australia, I went to Santiago, Chile, I went to Buenos Aires, I went to Hong Kong, I went to Tokyo, and you're saying, I don't have money to do that, Dan. I didn't didn't either. I flew whatever the cheapest way, I even took a boat one time, because I, when I figured you would get places by boat cheaper than by plane, you know what it is to take a three-week tramp steamer to Australia? I was willing to pay that price. I was willing to pay that price. If you're not willing to pay that price, then I would submit to you that you're wasting your time. Now why in God's name do banks spend all this damn money on these deals? Because they're flush with cash and you're not smart enough to get your ass off the chair and go in and get it. It's no different than if I stood on the corner outside this hotel and I asked a hundred women would you come up to my suite with me. You can bet your sweet ass somebody's going to say yes. I can't make it any more graphic than that. You don't have the money for your projects because you don't ask for it. And you don't ask for it is because you don't believe in it enough. And if you don't believe in it enough, the bank knows it and you know it and that's why you don't ask them. Because you know what they're going to say. If you don't go in with as much enthusiasm as as you're seeing me show here, the chances of you getting what you want out of a financial institution are next to zero. Most of you are dealing with your financial institution like they did in the last century. It has changed. This is almost 1996. Four more years, we're going to be into the new century. You've seen Mr. McAllister show you all these modern things that you can do with a PC. Well, banking has changed. It's changed, ladies and gentlemen. The money's there. It's not the money you gotta worry about, it's the deal. And what you're really telling me and telling yourself is you don't believe in your damn deal enough to get up off your dead ass and go and ask for the money. It's like the best-looking girl in school, you never asked her out. She never had a date! Unless she, she was good at some extracurricular activities and that spreads pretty quick, her reputation, that is. It's no different. I have a young man that works with me. He's the youngest mayor in the United States. His name is Mayor Fidel Vargas. He went to Harvard. When he was home, gonna go to graduate school to get an MBA. He went home to Baldwin Park, it's a city of about 100,000 people, and he, he, he felt so strongly postponed going back and get a, a master's and he ran for mayor when he was 22 and he was when he was uh, elected, he was 23, youngest mayor in the United States. He once owned a sports franchise and I said, we're the most five most successful sports franchises in, the, in America and he said, well, the Lakers were one. I said, well, let's call Dr. Jerry Buss. Oh, I could never call Dr. Jerry Buss i get your ass on, forget, call Dr. Jerry Buss. We called him three times. He called him. Third time he got through to one of his administrative assistants. To make a long story short, Jerry Buss had him up to his box, talked to him, spent five hours with him. Jerry Buss said, because I made him ask this question, how many times have you been called Dr. Buss? You are the first person in 25 years that's ever called. I ask people to call me and I'm in front of thousands. You know how many people call me a month? Two, three, maybe. This group's no different. I told Dr. Walker who picked me up at the airport yesterday, or whenever I flew in, I've never, nobody's ever offered to pick me up at the airport and I spent three hours with her talking about her deal. Nobody. And I ask people to call me, my number's 1-800-QUANTUM. Now there's two rules of finance when you borrow money. One, borrow bucks, borrow big bucks. And then when you have problems, you've got partners. If you need 10,000, borrow 50. I've got a pilot named Lenny Knock. his claim to fame, he doesn't do anything, no financial background, he went to college, he's a pilot with US Air. His claim to fame is he was Mr. Uh, The Bachelor of the Month in Cosmopolitan five or six years ago. That's about his claim. He had none every... All he does is chase flight attendants, female flight attendants. That's about all he knows how to do. He attended one of these deals. He is now close to putting together a million dollars worth of line of credit. He's gone to 20 banks and gotten $50,000 line with each bank. He doesn't even have a business. He's got nothing to spend it on. He's put together the dream team. He believed me. He heard me in January. He went and he, went and he got uh, Coopers and Lybrand. He got um, Butcher Singer in Philadelphia, one of the largest regional uh, brokerage firms in the country, and he got some big law firm. He has not, he has b- bought breakfast for one of them, and I was mad at him for doing that. Because when you go through this interviewing process and you meet these people for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you will not live long enough to not have where you'll ever have to pay. They will buy you breakfast, lunch, and dinner from now until the next century begins. And I slapped Lenny around because he bought breakfast for one of these doofuses. He's got his whole dream team, he's got a million dollar line of credit now, and he's got no business to find. He has no business to buy yet. He actually went out and did what I told him to. He believed me, the guy lives in a castle, he's got his own golf course, Jesus. And if one or three or even five over prime makes a difference in your deal, the deal's too tight. There's no margin for error and there'll be errors. If your deal doesn't pencil out or the difference between three over prime and five over prime kills your deal, throw your deal in the trash can. Because there are going to be errors, there are going to be mistakes. You plan, God laughs. Man plans, God laughs. Well, my deal's got 17% cash on cash, Dan. The bank knows if your deal's only got 17% cash on cash, it's not going to float. Why do you think they all want additional secondary source of payment, collateral, et cetera, et cetera? Because they know your numbers aren't worth a damn. That's why. I've never seen a set of numbers that were right in 25 years. So yours aren't going to be the first. I said this yesterday. If your deal is so tight that that makes a difference, your deal's no damn good. But instead, you'll try to fix it. Well, I'll make it better, Dan, instead of turning the key even on a concept. Now, there are such things as angels. I'm considered an angel, financial angel. An angel is some old doofus that's got a lot of money that will fund a project. There are, there are people like that around. But I already told you, when I do it, I, if I put up all the money, maybe I didn't tell you. Yesterday somebody says, well oh, how do you do business? I, uh, at the dinner last night, which was very interesting, they had some hard questions there. They had some reasonably bright people at the dinner. I was stunned. I was, I was stunned, I was impressed. When I put up all the money as an angel, I take 85 or 95 percent of the deal, and I give this, the, the, the founder, the, the, the boss, the, the CEO, the chairman, one year to prove himself that I shouldn't throw him out on his ass. I'll say that a little slower because I can tell it didn't register with anybody. Uh, if I put up all the money, I take 85 to 95% of the deal. And I, I have done that before. And then I give them a year to ter- determine whether they can really manage because most people can't manage. They think they can. I'm not a day-to-day manager because I learned a long, long time ago, I can't manage day-to-day. I'm a concept guy. Okay, so there are people like this. The angels to people in this room are, they try to get the money from their mother-in-law, father-in-law, relatives, etc., etc. There's a project in here that has 80 investors in it, and they've raised over $5 million over the last five years, which is an average of about $60,000 an investor. And some of those may have been forms of angels, but most of you, I would, I would submit to you are not going to find financial angels, and why aren't you going to find why aren't you going to find financial angels, ladies and gentlemen? This is, that's exactly because you don't ask. You just don't. And why don't you ask? Because you don't believe in the deal enough, or because you don't want it badly enough. Bank mergers give states a chance to get funding pledges for small businesses. Another opportunity, when you see two banks merge, normally they have changed their whole lending philosophy to adopt either the a bank A's or bank B's. That is a grandiose opportunity for people like you to go in and get funding. Recently there was a merger of two women banks. Uh, in Southern California. I told the ladies that I happened to be talking to you that week, ladies, how many, I was in front of a group of women, if you can imagine this, National Association of Women Business Owners, NABO, has been sponsor for my seminars. It's hard to believe because I'm, a, I'm, I'm just not a, a NABO kind of guy, you wouldn't think, but I told them the truth. I didn't tell them what they wanted to hear, and they wanted to know how to raise money, so they brought me in, and I told them. When, when banks merge, it's a, it's a tremendous opportunity. You can read in the Wall Street Journal, or wh- what paper do they have in Atlanta? Atlanta? Constitution. Constitution. okay. It's a tremendous opportunity. Just like when new bank branches open, and it's even better when a bank comes into town that's new, that hasn't been there. God almighty, you ought to sleep over in, with a tent out in front of their door. Two private equity funds formed to focus on lending to small businesses in the state. How many read the paper here every morning? That's where I get these things. They're not always out of the Wall Street Journal. Sometimes they're out of local papers. I mean, you ought to be. When you see this, you ought to be calling these people up. I still call them up, and if I still call them, I've God Almighty. What should you be doing? Now I'm gonna go through some key things about raising money. My partners that I'm in business with right now, they practice financial presentations. Then I play the banker, even if I'm on the phone, and I listen, okay, and I ask hard questions. You will think of all the questions that a banker would ask you. They're pretty simple. But if you practice them, I used to practice asking out a girl on my first date. I went to my 30-year high school reunion uh, three years ago, and I sat next to this girl, and she looked like my grandmother, Age had not been, years had not been kinder. And I, I, I told my wife, I said, to think I used to practice in front of a mirror to ask her out. But I practice, I still practice. I practice these presentations. You're not good at it because you don't practice it. Why do professional athletes practice, practice, practice? Why do Olympic athletes practice, practice, practice? Why? To get better, obviously. I've given 300 one-on-one financial presentations on five continents, and I still practice. I'm good at it. And when they say, no, I'm stunned, this is a travesty, Mr. Jones, of Bank of America. This is, you have shareholders, shareholders, a board of directors that you've got to report to, to allow a loan of this caliber to slip through your fingers. My partners, when sitting at these tables that I've been at over the years, they can't even hardly keep a straight face, because I say the same thing to all of them. How can you say that crap to them? Well, I believe it. God, see, and guess what? I get the money. I get the money, so I role play. And you know your deal's good if a financial institution says to you, "Well, we'd like an equity kicker." By equity kicker, I mean a piece of the action, exactly. Then you know you got a hot deal. Some, most people in this room probably have never heard those words from a bank, financial institution. And, I'm sorry to tell you, that's probably because your deals aren't hot. That's not to say that you can't make your deal hot. It's very seldom. Last night at dinner, I, uh, you know, I, uh, I was asked at the end of the day, how do we finance it? How do we get to the people to finance our deals? And there were two really esoteric, funky kind of deals. And I think I gave the right answer. I don't think I know I gave the right answer to both of the gentlemen that asked me. And they had been to a lot of financial institutions. One one group in five years had made 20 presentations, only 20 presentations, to major financial institutions in five years. I would have made 20 in a month or two. And there's no doubt if they follow my recommendations that I made last night that they'll get the money that they need, their deal. And it's a funky deal. They've already gotten $5 million from some sort of financial angel. So I mean, somebody believes in the project. You always wanna borrow more than you need. Always, always, always. Why, Dan? If they're asking intellectually for me to be honest, how can I tell the bank or the financial institution that I want more? You know why you can tell them that? Because you really don't know how much you need. You're only guessing. You think you need $50,000, you probably need 250. You think you only need a million, you probably need 3 million. So you're not doing something intellectually wrong by asking for more money than you think you need. For those of you that have that, cross the bear. Financial estimates are a guess, a wild ass guess at best. How many have ever made a fine no, I'm not even going to ask that. The US is not the only financial playground in the world. It just isn't. For those of you that haven't looked in other markets that have projects that warrant it, and how does a project warrant going to the UK for money or going to Mexico for money or going for Canada if nobody in the United States will won't loan you money then it warrants you go someplace else it's that simple during the interviewing process you want to develop a relationship and if you how many deal with banks today that uh, are what I call uh, pool lending where the, the, the lo- lending decision is made at some regional place. You know? Okay, nobody knows. You want a banker that can make the decision himself. One of the first questions I ask in the interview is what is the lending limit of your banking institution? When you ask that question you will separate yourself from 99.999% of the people he's ever talked to. I've heard bankers tell me I've never been asked that question in my entire career. What is the lending limit of your miserable scrawny bank? Then when he when he when he starts stuttering and he starts salivating, then you say secured and unsecured limit. Second question, what is your lending limit you doofus banker? You. Mr. Jones, how much can you sign off on by yourself without asking your mommy or the or the or, the, or your superior? And guess what? If he's got a $50,000 limit, then you're asking for $48,000. If his limit's $25,000, you're asking for $24,950. This is pretty heady stuff. This is pretty hard. And if he can't make a credit decision, then you don't want to talk to this doofus anymore. You want to talk to the man, as they say. And if it's a committee of two, then you want both of them present. If it's more than a committee of two, you want to go to another bank. At all costs, you want the lending decision on a local basis because your deals aren't good enough to, to compete. I don't borrow money from B of A anymore because every 60, 80, 90 branches has one regional center, and I got to compete for money. And I don't like competing for money. Because banking, at the end of the day, is a personal relationship. If my chemistry is good with you and it's not good with you, when we, one, I probably won't get the loan, and two, when we have a problem because she believes me more than him, she's gonna give me, cut me some slack. That's the way life is. Those questions I've just said are critical to ask the financial manager, whoever you're talking to, they're critical. said you don't go in with a business plan. In 25 years, ladies and gentlemen, I have never written a business plan. 25 years. Never. And when you show up for the first meeting, again, you show up with nothing under your arm. No papers, nothing. And you go, and uh, um, this should be obvious, You you dress like your Brooks Brothers. I don't care well, down here in Decatur, I mean, uh, don't be showing up with cowboy boots and funky golf shirts. White shirt, no jewelry, wingtip shoes if you got them, no tassels, socks that match, blue suit or black suit, black socks. Now, I get away looking like this because I'm enormously successful. And some of my claim to fame is gold pocket watch, handkerchief, three-piece London tailor-made suit. You don't go in looking like this. And if you're a woman, you dress equivalent to whatever Brooks Brothers suit is for a lady. You know better than I do. Shoes, simple watch, leather band, no funky for, for those of you that have gold watches. The band and the, and the belt and the, the shoes all should match. You want to look just like the doofus banker. Some people call it mirroring. It's a lot easier for him to give you money if you look just like him. Bankers will be more inclined to lend you money if you have a track record. Most of you don't. How do you get an instant track record? I've already alluded to it yesterday. You partner up with somebody. See, banks lend people that have had a successful chain of transactions. I've had, I guess, I don't know if hundreds, but I've had a bunch of them. The job that you need to get done is you've got to get past the first transaction. And even if you have to give a big chunk of the equity away to somebody else who's got a track record, it doesn't matter because then you can use that track record going on to the second deal, the third deal, the fifth deal, et cetera, et cetera. Most of you lack the skills to sell your vision with clarity because you don't practice and, and, and the travesty really is, is because you don't believe enough in it. You just don't. And if what you're trying to finance isn't your dream, isn't your vision, I mean, the banker or, or the person on the other side of the table sees through it clearly. They know just absolutely, definitively, because at the end of the day, they want to feel down deep inside warm and fuzzy that this person or this person will do whatever it takes to pay me back the money. And if you don't believe with all your heart then you're not gonna, you know, go that extra mile. That's what they want to believe. And most of you don't believe passionately in what you're doing. And that's why it's very easy for me to say you ought to turn the damn key. Just walk away. And look for something that you can passionately believe in. Is that so difficult? You want to position yourself, and I already talked about this yesterday. Audited financials, probably hardly anybody in the room's got them. If you had audited financials, you you doubled your opportunity to borrow money. And if you have audited financials from big six, you increase it another 25%. It's that simple. In a small town, you want the other banker to know that you're seeing the other banker. In Graham, Texas, I'd go to lunch at the club, where everybody went, on Tuesday and Thursday because I knew that Tuesday was Rotary, Thursday was Kiwanis, and I knew the doofuses either belonged to one or the other, so I'd be sitting there with the other banker from across town. You can do the same thing in big cities. The secured lender is the financial bible for financial institutions. I would, I would definitely suggest to you that you should, should subscribe to it. If every funky bank, financial institution in, the, in America is listed, they even tell you we've got to get $15 million on the books by December 31 in certain cases. These are the kinds of things that we go through definitively at the Raising Capital Seminar, but start looking in the backs of the Wall Street Journal or the local papers. There's people that are trying to lend money, They want to lend money. IRA accounts are great sources for funding for real estate deals especially, to the extent that you're doing real estate. That's your individual retirement uh, account. For those of you that don't know what IRA, the guy, last, I'm not, I, I bet you some don't. <coughs> Virtually everybody in this room will have to put their personal guarantee. If you aren't willing to put your personal guarantee on a transaction, then don't waste your time going to banks. I hear people all the time saying, I'm not running, I'm not going to sign on this deal. If this deal can't carry itself, then the hell with it. But you're really saying the hell with you. Everybody in this room, unless they, we got some sleepers here I haven't met, is going to have to put everything they own on the line vis-a-vis coll- collateral. There's probably not a deal in the room that can stand on its own here. I haven't heard one yet anyway. If you got any sleepers, make sure you see me before I leave. And if you're not willing to, and the bank on their side arguing for them, if you're not willing to put your neck on the line, then I don't want to loan you the money. Because if you don't believe in the damn thing enough, why should I? I'm not going to be there running it every day, you are. I've rolled my financial net worth 10, 12 times. I've been on my back financially, counted out dead five times. Now 85% of my money is an irrevocable trust, so I can't roll it. But the other 15% percent i sure as hell roll. There are red flags in in deals that banks look for. One, I've already alluded to whether you're willing to put your neck on the line. Two, who's in the deal with you? If, this, if, if it's your brother-in-law, your mother-in-law, etc., cetera, and there's no outside family interest, that can be a red flag because the bank then feels the only way you got the initial money to begin with is because you sold your father-in-law. That is not a real good indication of strength of a deal because everybody's in the same family. Doesn't necessarily kill a deal, but I like to see more than one last name cross the page. And I don't mean for the women that use their maiden name, I don't mean it that way. Another red flag the financial institutions will look at. And contrary to what you've been told, it is not a red flag to shop a deal. That's what I'm trying to say. Contrary to what you've been told. If that were the case, I would have never been able to raise money. My TRW has been turned up more times than there are days in the decade. And whoever told you if you have six, more than six checks on your TRW or credit reference in a year, I mean, it's a bad mark, that's crap. That may have been in the 40s, but not in the 90s. Now. I put down an evaluation of business plan because even though I tell you, you don't need a business plan, everybody in the room is probably going to use one anyway. Because you don't believe me. So if you do, you know, you can have a business plan made up in uh, uh, between 3 and 10 minutes. All you have to go is there's 50,000 software packages. You just go out there and plug in the numbers and it zips out all the boilerplate junk and you got a business plan. Now, my recommendation And when I say that, it really means, morons, please, God, listen to me. You ask the financial institution, the banker that you're talking to, do you think you could give me a copy of a proposal that has been passed through and okayed by the bank and you can redact? Redact means blacking out the names. And you know what? They'll say yes. And they'll give you a business plan that actually worked. Then you don't even have to write one yourself and they'll give it to you because they want, they'll be proud of the, oh yeah, this is a deal that I got through and everybody said I couldn't get it through, and then they'll give it to you. And at least half the time they won't even blacken the guy's name off, which is awful because they've got laws against that. And then you can call the guy, go to see him, and say, hey, where did you have a problem with this deal? And then he'll be proud as hell because it got through. He won't even be pissed off because the bank gave his name. How simple can I make it? You know what? Because you want me to go there and get you the money. See, that's what most of you are thinking. Gee, if I, w- I if uh, if Dan was, uh, you don't need me because you pay through up up the nose when I'm in the deal. Now, we've gone through a lot of things that you have never heard before. Would the audience agree? Yeah. Okay. There are 50 other things that I could go over, but because of time, we don't. Three of the things that are crucially important are role playing, going to banks that are in a lending mode. And by the way, when I call up to interview the bank, I say, may I speak to, uh, 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 I want to talk to the senior lending officer. And you get them, all, oh, this is, uh, uh, now I have assistants to do this now, but when I used to do it, yeah, this is Dan Pena, um, is your bank in the lending mode? I ask them flat out. I don't want to go down there waste my time and find out the FDIC's closing them down next week. <laughs> I ask them flat out, are you in a lending mode, are you in a lending posture? You got money to lend? I jump right on their case. They ask why, I say, so well, I'm interviewing banks, I'm new in town. I'm looking for a new banking relationship, a new financial relationship. I ask him that question. And uh, another thing that's crucially important is the role playing, as I've said a couple times already. I mean, I, believe me, if you practice for two or three or four hours before you go in, you feel so much more uh, uh, at, at ease. I had um, a group, I worked with a group of uh, uh, young uh, Hispanic kids, I call them the Mexican morons. They all went to Harvard as a matter of fact. Fidel Vargas is one of them, the young mayor. And the Mexican morons, I oh know there's one William and Mary guy in there. There's a f- a four Mexican morons from Harvard and one from William and Mary. And they've all got MBAs or law degrees. And um, we had them uh, uh, role play a deal. They were gonna go in against a big insurance company. And we, they role played and they showed up, they made the they made the appointment at their lawyer's office. Another thing, for those of you, all the banks will come and see you, by the way. I'm not talking about you going there. I'm talking about them getting off their dead ass and coming and see you, by the way. You're not going to the bank. Write that down. You don't go to the bank. They come and see you, and preferably they come and see you at your accountant's office or your lawyer's office, because you look professional. Try to act professional, like you've been doing this before. So they came to uh, uh, um, the Mexican Moran's lawyer's office. Of course, one of them was a lawyer. So, I mean, they came to his offices and they got the conference room. and They made the appointment at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning, 7 <laughs> o'clock on Saturday morning. And uh, the guys were role-playing, and I was out of the country, and they're all phoning me all hours of the night. And they said, well, what about this question? And then they showed up for the meeting, my Mexican Moran's wearing suits. The other side, shou- one guy showed up in golf clothes, one guy show- showed up in tennis. I mean, the leverage never shifted. I wasn't there, but when I finally called on one of them on their cellular phone, they were down in Elvera Street, which is where you have a Mexican restaurant in downtown LA, drunk on margaritas about 11.30 in the morning because they had done it. They had slammed the insurance company. They were prepared. One was the hard guy, one was the easy guy, and if you have a partner and you go, one should be good cop, one should be bad cop, oh, screw this bank. We don't want to do business with them. Bad cop, good cop, and they had slammed these guys. I was so proud of them, they were drunk on their butt because they were, just like Dan said. Now these are, now these kids, now some of you said, well, they went to Harvard and they had MBAs and law degrees. They're 24, 25 years old, they're kids, babies. I don't care where you went to school, you're still a baby at 25. And they slammed this insurance company. They were so proud of themselves. It worked, it worked, it worked. It does work. So role play, practice. And again, the cost of education is nothing compared to the price of ignorance. You are getting more good stuff about raising money here than you've had in your miserable lives. I told a man outside, of all the stuff I do, and we just developed this program this year because I thought everybody knew this. Boy, was I wrong. I thought everybody knew everything that I'm talking about about going to banks that just moved into town. Nobody knows it. And that's why, at partially at Doug's insistence and some of our other disciples, we developed the program. It's for the people in this room, it's easily, not taking anything away from anybody that anybody else said, it's easily the most important thing that you'll hear during this conference, is how to raise money. Because virtually everybody in the group is looking for money and it's easily the most controversial subject that you'll hear here here today or yesterday because it's perceived by you guys as the hardest when in fact it's the easiest conventional wisdom ladies and gentlemen is almost always wrong it's almost always wrong the methodology that I've described here in the last 60 minutes enabled me to do the following I say insurmountable tasks because that's what people have told me, they were insurmountable. They weren't insurmountable because I did them. got a $20 million contract with the federal government with no employees, office space, only a phone and a lease fax machine, $50 million in revenue, my first year in business. Bought a foreign subsidiary from a Fortune 200 company over the phone on New Year's Eve. Bought a $150 million company from a multi-billion dollar foreign parent when they didn't want to sell. And turned eight hundred twenty dollars into four hundred million. Some of you have got acquisition candidates or things you'd like to buy and the other side doesn't, they're not for sale. Well I never look at anything that's for sale. I only go and buy things that aren't for sale. You can make people sell you assets they don't want to sell. I am about to buy a note bank from Wells Fargo Bank from a company that doesn't want to sell to me. I'm gonna buy the note from the bank. to force him to sell to me. It's the best thing for him anyway. His two sons are taking the company down the toilet. There are ways to do things that you have, that heretofore I thought everybody knew about, but virtually nobody knows about. And that's why, I don't know if I'm the most qualified guy in the country talking about it. I'm certainly one of the most qualified. I'm certainly the only one that's talking about it that's actually done it. Ross and those guys don't do these seminars about this tall. But when he's feeling short, he stands on his wallet. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Smart guy. Tough, tough businessman. Tough, tough. He still practices. Maybe you wouldn't think it looking at them when he's on TV, but you ought to see him if he doesn't practice. But I mean if Ross Pro practices, why wouldn't you want to practice? You you just think about it. I mean... Now, these are the kinds of things that I was able to do and starting from nothing and because the kind of growth that I look for wasn't arithmetic. You've been taught that growing by five plus five, that's growing up a hundred percent. And you, you've been taught that's good. I don't even consider it. You know, five times five. five plus 5 squared. My kind of growth is 5 squared times 5 squared. There's a big difference between 10 and 625. Would you agree? That's the kind of growth that is possible when you use the tools, the financial tools that I've just described. Our airline pilot has raised a, a million dollars for a line of credit. By the way, that line of credit is all unsecured. He's had a call on dozens of financial institutions. Dozens. And what he does, because he's a pilot, now you'll say, when I say this, you're gonna say, well that's why he was able to do it. He flies to a lot of cities. He's got dead time, as they call it. He calls on banks in all those cities. I said, why don't you do, you know, I always try to do two or three things at at the same time. When I'm on the running machine or the Stairmaster, I'm on the phone and I'm watching CNN. When I'm just on the phone, I normally go in the cancer box. The cancer box is the thing that gives, you know, a tanning box. Because if I'm gonna, I don't want to make sure, if I may just be wasting my time talking to you on the phone, at least I'm getting a tan at the same time. He started to, and look, it's just a, it's, it's a marginal shift. Remember I talked about just marginal shift and diff, marginal shift for a geometric result? He decided instead of sleeping 15 hours when he's in, in Philadelphia or Dallas, he'd go call on a bank. And guess what? He heard me say it in January of this year in Orlando. It is now December and he's got a million dollars worth of credit. $50,000 and roughly 20 banks. Not every city he stopped in was there a receptive bank. Oh, well, gee, he got to fly for free, Dan. I could do that. I could do that if I was flying all over the country. Like hell you could. There are people in this room that will not call on financial institutions irrespective of what I've just said. So I'm talking to you, to the handful that will. It's not difficult. There are three things that are critically important. One is role playing. Two is having financial institutions come to you. And three is to make sure that you're absolutely impassioned with the idea, the project. And you have to sell that passion, that enthusiasm to the financial institution no matter what. Because if you don't share that enthusiasm and that passion with the financial institution, the bank's not going to be interested. They're just not. You know, as as, as a subcategory, I mean, you ought to be calling on financial institutions that just showed up in town or just opening up branches. Because most of you, with one or two exceptions, a branch can fund your deal. Some of you that need a lot more money then maybe a little branch in a little podunk town in, in, in Georgia can't. But you've got to go where the money is. I don't know how many banks are in town here, but there's got to be a whole bunch of them. And some there are other non-traditional methods of finance like insurance companies. I already talked about IRAs, individual retirement accounts. There's brokerage firms, investment banking firms, there's merchant banks, and merchant bank are more European, and they've started a few here. Merchant banks, uh, the perception is they'll actually take a risk with you. Most of the projects that you're trying to fund haven't been thought through, haven't been um, um, planned around recessionary times. I mean, all your projections and all to the extent that you've got business plans are all the postulated on everything's rosy, nothing's going to go wrong, and everybody be happy, and you know, the check's in the mail, you know, and the IRS is here to help you. And, and, and that's not what the bank wants to hear. The, one, the bank wants to hear that no matter what happens to the project, you're going to pay. I am proud to tell any banker I have, I have never, ever stiffed the bank on principle. I haven't always given them the money when they wanted it, and I tell all the guys this. I say principal, I never say interest, because there have been times in my career where there wasn't any interest to give the bank. There's not a banker in America that wouldn't kiss my backside to have a guy that's always paid his principal back. So I mean, it goes without saying that, I mean, the the deal's got to be financially viable. It's got to be financially viable. But even financially viable deals, if you're not calling on a lot of financial institutions, you're not going to get them funded. You just won't. I'll tell you what I read. Okay. Uh, I read Fortune, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, LA Times, the Financial Times in London, The Economist, which is a magazine, uh, Unsecured Lender. Uh, there's a National Association of. Uh, Uh, secured lenders, which I would get on their mailing list. Um, There is a... um, I read in the back of newspapers where they, uh, you know, where it says uh, business opportunities and stuff like that. I I look through those all the time to see um, uh, for lending opportunities. There are people in there say they've got ten million to lend. Prime plus one. I mean, there's people in there. I've I've seen them as high as got billion dollars to lend. Um, I call or have called virtually every bank um, that um, these ads that I've just shown. I have somebody call or I call. I want to know if uh, new lending policies. One of the things I just found out going through these nine presentations I just made. I never used to go to the SBA because the SBA was a pain in the neck. And uh, one, in recent years, I got too much money. They'll never lend me any money anyway. And you have to fill out paperwork this thick. Now it's one page, two sides, SBA now. One page, two sides. Pardon? SBA, yeah. And the, um, so now I've, I've, I've told people, and I've sent some people to the SBA in recent months because they've changed their policies. Although you read in the newspapers, like uh, the SBA uh, writes off billions of dollars like I, uh, you know, uh, brush my teeth because of bad loans, because of bad loans. But uh, why would you think the government would be involved in anything other than bad loans when you think about it? (laughs) I mean, it it shouldn't be such a, such a revelation. Um, I would also, um, there, each state has their own banking association. I would get on the mailing list, the Georgia Georgia State Bankers Association, um, the, um, and, and more than anything, you, you want to be able to show the bank. The bank will treat you better if they think you're more sophisticated. The bank will treat you better, when, you know. If you, if you come in like a doofus moron, they're going to treat you like a doofus moron. <coughs> And you become more sophisticated with financial institutions by talking to a lot of them. You know, I, I get letters or uh, voicemails. Well, I went into the bank and they asked me for a business plan. And I sent them back, how many banks did you call them? On one. Uh, whenever I get co- questions like this, I know they called in The first bank they went to, the guy wanted a business plan, so they didn't call in anymore until they called me. Didn't work the first time. I would submit to you, you make four or five appointments a day. Oh, another thing. You don't want sit, th- I mean you want these meetings to be 30, 45 minutes max. You don't have all day. See, most of you do have all day. You sit there and beg all day for money. You're like a dog for a guy, got- the, the soup bone. 30, 45 minutes. And you, and you make them, you let them understand that you're going, you know, and what I like to do is I like to stack them up in the, in, in the foyer. I run behind. Try to run 10, 15 minutes behind so one banker sees the other banker coming in. I, I, um, I stay at the, um, the um, I can't think of the club I belong to in New York now. But anyway, I stay there. And um, Union League club, yeah. And uh, I have them there in the little, uh, in, in, in the boardroom and I've got them sitting outside. Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, Citicorp, Bear Stearns. Now admittedly, it's easier for me. There's no question about that. I'm not trying to mislead you. But it's not impossible for you. I mean, business, it's not that difficult. It just isn't. You know, it's like there's a Tyrannosaurus Rex outside. Okay, well, we better get eight or nine of the guys to take care of this. Like in caveman days, it's no different. It's no different. Remember what I said yesterday, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Just because you've never experienced it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. A lot of you, if not most of you, are scared to death and that intellectually you understand what Dan has just said and emotionally you can't write the check. I'm telling you, the banks are flush. They got, they're flush with cash this morning, as we speak right now, I have partners in Fresno, I started to say this earlier, that are meeting with a uh, bank, that w- they wanted me to meet with them on Tuesday. I can't be there next Tuesday, or they can't be there next Tuesday. And they said, well, well we w- can we meet tomorrow, which is today? And they said, well, Mr. Pena won't be here. I said, well, I mean, we already met Pena because we've already taken him through the interviewing process. And he said, uh, well, why do you want to talk to us? He said, we've got a, we've got a, um, a chain we're going to try to buy before December 31. oh, God, well, the team that we need, we can own it eight o'clock tomorrow morning, is that alright? We can get Pena on a conference call." They wanted to p- plug in it and I probably should have done it. They wanted to plug in a conference call to this meeting. I probably should have done it. So you could have, because you're just sitting there, you you still don't believe me. I should have, but I didn't. Because I, if I got rough with the, with the bank, I, you know, which I can, which I can, I'm sure you can appreciate now, I can get rough with the bank. but. So they're meeting right now and so when I get to the airport, I'm gonna plug into them and I'm gonna call the bank and ask how the bank went. And one of the other things that I would recommend is you ask the bank, you know, how can I make this presentation better? You also start with the Mooch Bank first, the bank that's least likely to loan you money so you can practice. Then you ask them, how could I make this presentation better? And they'll tell you. Well, first of all, if if when I shook your hands, your hands were clammy. Most of you, when they go in to shake, I wouldn't shake the banker's hand if I were you, because most of your hands are clammy. You know, what kind of sense of confidence you think the banker's got when you shake hands with him and he brings it back in his water? Track record, it's all about track record. One of the only things I bring to an equation for a deal, as I told the people last night at dinner, is one, I can get in to see almost anybody, and two, I can all get in to almost see anybody right away. And that is tremendous leverage. You know, like I told somebody at dinner, we well, some of my partners, I've got a 25 or 25-year-old 25 Cornell graduate uh, who's a partner of mine, and she was calling up the big six, just like I told her to, and they were giving her a hard time, and I had to kind of cut to the chase, so I called the regional partner, Coopers and Libran. And the Coopers and Lyman had two partners and an associate there in 36 hours. And so we kind of cut to the chase. I'm not telling you that it's not, it's not difficult, ladies and gentlemen. But if you want it bad enough, you can do it. All you have to do is make the calls. Success in selling is smile and dial. You're selling your concept to banks, insurance companies, whoever. You're smiling and dialing. It's selling, that's all it is. And that's why a lot of you have problems with it because, in our minds, selling's like kind of not not that it's a demeaning profession, but you know you equate it to selling used cars, you know water softeners, encyclopedias at the door, pots and pans, Tupperware. Now it's not such a classy, you know. Oh, I want my kid to grow up and be a encyclopedia salesman. That's not the kind of thing you say, is it? And that's one of the one of the emotional hurdles you have in doing these kinds of things. I'm a salesman. I just sell big things now. I'm a concept salesman. I'm a great salesman. There's not too many better salesmen in the country than I am. But I took my skills from selling door to door, selling insurance. No, I sold real estate first, I guess. Sold insurance, stocks and bonds. Then I sold uh, companies then I sold banks, and then I sold countries. I've done business. I've sold the US government, the Indonesian government, the Japanese government, the Kuwaiti government, the Chilean government, the Israeli government, the Canadian government. I've just taken my skills. After you selling governments, not too many people to sell. Now I've started back at the bottom again. I'm trying to sell guys like you. It's a, it's a bitch. <laughs> it's a, it's a bitch. I mean, because, I mean, this is as tough as sale to, you know, he, this is as tough a sale as I've ever you know, tried, trying to convince you you can really do it when you know you can't. You don't think that's hard? <laughs> I was talking to a guy here uh, that wants to make steel frame houses and I told him, he says, well intellectually I believe it because you told me, but I don't believe it because I haven't done it. And that's basically where most of the people in the room are. Bad credit. How, oh, I'm not going to ask you how many have bad credit, that's not fair, okay, okay. Uh, I used to ask that question, but now I'm a kinder, gentler Dan. (laughs) Okay. Bad credit. Then it's imperative that you partner up in joint venture with somebody that doesn't have bad credit. You're gonna have to give part of the profit away, but that's all right. After you've done a deal or two with a joint venture credit as your lever leverage, then you can go back and you can do them on your own again. I mean, it's imperative that you partner up with somebody, bad credit. Although there are financial institutions, not in this country, that that won't matter that you have bad credit. I mean, there are. I mean, you can borrow money in South Africa now. I don't care. No credit, bad credit. As long as you can walk and breathe. But I mean, not many of you will go to South Africa. You want to visualize in your mind that they're going to say yes. They're gonna say yes. They're gonna say yes. You in your presentation, well when the bank accepts this and when we start funding it and you wanna presuppose the positive all the way through the presentation. You wanna use the words like in selling insurance or selling, I mean you want them to start getting their head nodding yes, yes. So your presentation should be based upon things that they can say yes. You're in a lending mode, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, okay. You've made loans like this before. Yeah, yeah, okay. You have the authority. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I already told you I've got a $50,000 limit. You're only asking for $49,99, you know. Yeah, okay. You're comfortable with this loan. We've gone through. Yeah, uh, I see no problem. You want them to start saying yes as many times in the presentation. That's why you ask them for their business plan that they had approved prior because they've already, they're feeling, feeling proud. They're puffed up like a show dog. You can do this you can if you have a dream and it's that clear in your mind you can get money from any financial institution in this land if your dream isn't that clear in your mind you're gonna have trouble if you can't clarify your dream that clear in your mind then you're trying to finance the wrong thing. And the bank will know it. If this is not a full-time job for you, furthering your dream along, then it's the wrong project. I've done this a lot of times. I've been in front of a lot of audiences, and I've seen a lot of successful people raise a lot, a lot, a lot of money. But they've always had something, maybe not a castle, with a big uh, manicured estate like I have, but it's got to be something like it. It may be a bigger house, maybe a college education for your kid, it may be something. But if it's not crystal clear in your mind, then it's not going to happen. And if it is though, it will happen and you'll raise a lot, a lot of money. Thank you very much.